Well, it's a delight for me to invite you to open your Bibles again or turn them on and offer a few swipes back to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're just going to pick up where we left off last week by just reviewing three short little verses here. Uh, But I think you'll find that these words are just full of meaning that will benefit us today. So 1 Thessalonians, beginning chapter 5, verse 16. I just remind you where we have been. Here is a church that was planted there in the city of Thessalonica. It it was founded in a city of persecution where the founding pastors could only make it three Sabbath days before they were chased out of there. And Paul and Silas and Timothy have offered words of confirmation or commendation to them. They said, we're so proud of you. And, and after a few chapters, they've turned their sights on responding to some questions about Jesus' second coming as well as the day of the Lord. And then last week, we began looking at a passage that dealt with relationships within the church, the relationship between leaders and the congregation, the relationships with congregation and the leaders, as well as a relationship among the congregation with one another. And so this morning, we pick up where we left off. This time, we're looking at the relationship with all of us within the congregation as it relates to the Savior, to the one who has given his life for the church. So look with me now at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Would you join me in prayer? Uh, Father, I suspect that if the, the majority of people were to be interviewed right now in this room and, and they were to be asked, would you like to know the will of God for your life? I believe that almost all, if not all, would say yes. And here is one of the clearest passages in all of the scriptures that speak to that. So now with just a rested attention, maybe look at these three short verses and and see how we are to relate to our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, True story now, a real hero story took place just a few weeks ago, December, I'm sorry, May 25th on a Tuesday across the Lake Michigan, on the eastern shore of Lake Michigan, in a little community called Manistee. A young mom by the name of Alyssa DeWitt, on a warm day, decided to take her little children out to the beach. And while they were swimming, she looked off to her side and she saw on the pier where there was a raging wind and, and, the, and the sea was, was causing a stir among the waves. And as she looked over, she thought what she saw was a pair of hands waving for her. So she quickly got her little children out of the water and says, You stay here, I'm running over to the pier. And as she ran over, she grabbed her cell phone and and called 911, but because of the wind and the waves, she couldn't hear anything, so she just set her phone down and ran out, out on the pier. And she saw not just one pair of hands, 
but two other young people. And she estimated all three of them to be under the age of 15. And as she ran out to the pier, she, she looked down and she saw one young woman and as if to say, I am going to drown. Now, Alyssa DeWitt, did I mention that she was five months pregnant, was out on this pier and she says, you will not drown. And one by one, with a surge of adrenaline, she reached up and grabbed the first child and then the second child. And with the waves uh, tossing to and fro, nearly knocking her in the water herself, she grabbed the third child. And, and by then, the authorities had arrived, and they said if it wasn't for Alyssa DeWitt, this would have been a tragic event. All three of these young persons would have died. It is a story of a rescue. And if you look at the pages of Scripture and you say, what is this Bible all about? If we had to conclude it, what is this in essence about? It's, it's not so much a book of fables or, or history or, or even a book of stories and, and, and wisdom. It is, in one word, a rescue story. We see in the opening pages of this passage where we, to use that metaphor, are cast out into a sea of sin and we are drowning in it. We are incapable of swimming the shore safely. It's as if we have to swim a 100,000 miles to shore, and we are not able to do it. We are in need of a rescuer, and the rescuer is Jesus himself, who has come in the form of man, taking up this task that God has for him, laying his life down on the cross, raising it up three days later in order that we could have a relationship with the Father. And in light of this rescue opportunity, those of us who have received this forgiveness of sins, have placed our faith in Jesus, how is it we ought to live? Well, we see here three different ways. Now, this message is not so much for our graduates, and it is, but it's also for us that are a little bit younger or a little bit older as well. I think as we see in these three verses, there are three different things that we can do in response to being rescued. So let's first look at verse 16, and it says here, Rejoice always. If I were to ask you what is the shortest verse in all the Bible, what would you say? Jesus wept. And you would be accurate if you were looking at the English translation. But if you were to look at the Greek translation, all of those of you that read Greek here, uh, you would actually would, would answer 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 is the shortest in the Greek. It, the word is rejoice. In the, the Greek word is the word kario, which means to be, be glad or joy or hail. In, in the New Testament, it is used 74 different times. And as I've reviewed those usages this week, I, I found myself confronted with a challenge, not so much on what to share this morning, but what not to share, because there is so much that could be said about this command for you and I to, to rejoice, to have joy in our lives. And we would connect this back with me to verse 18, where it says, this is the will of God. So I could say to you, high school graduate or college graduate, or those of you who are younger or older, this is God's will for your life, that you rejoice always. So if you're taking an outline, here's, here's the first point I would say. 
God's will for your life is, number one, the joy-filled life. Now, of those 74 usages, I've, I've thought... There's got to be a way to try to group this together. So I'm going to give you four different words that hopefully are of a benefit to you to kind of latch on to this. Here's the first word. It is the word orchard. Orchard. Just a few days ago, as our family was up in Door County, we were, we were driving along the water and we saw an apple orchard. And I thought about that. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. We see that in Galatians chapter 5. As a result of being rescued from our sins, we receive the Holy Spirit and we then bear fruit. And one of those fruits is joy. However, when you think of an orchard, you, you can plant an apple tree and you can let it go but it doesn't bear a lot of good apples. I'm speaking from experience. I've done that myself. But a very healthy apple tree is one that is put in the ground, it's fertilized, it's trimmed, it's, it's sprayed, and that tree will bear good fruit. And God's will for your life and my life is that we would have this joy in our lives that is possible because we've been rescued from our sins but like a one that works in an orchard it needs to be cultivated in our lives so we need to continually go back to what has happened to us when we were rescued so that leads me to my second word that I want to give to you as we're thinking about rejoicing always it is the word salvation If we are going to live out God's will for our lives and have this joy-filled life, it will have to go back to this churchy word called salvation. And I'm I'm intentionally using because I don't think we can get away from this word. It's, It's really important for us to know. If you've ever been out to the Rocky Mountains in the spring, you've seen these snow-capped mountains that are now melting, and there's a a beautiful, cool stream that is flowing into the rivers and these waterfalls that's pouring into ponds and lakes. We think of that in the same way as our salvation is the source from which our joy flows. And so when we think about salvation, it would be helpful for us to think about what, what, does, what does God get happy about? Uh, we're called to be joyful. What, is, what, what makes God joyful? Well, this morning I've, I've used one metaphor of the gospel, and that's of a person drowning. But the Bible is filled with other metaphors of this good news. Let me give you another one in Luke chapter 15. It's of a young man that says to his dad, I want my inheritance early, and I'm gone. And I want to live a, a reckless and sinful and a self-centered life. And when he comes to the end of himself... The loving father restores him. Now, do you think the loving father is going to rub his nose in his foolishness? Not this one. The Bible says in Luke chapter 15, verse 32, When the prodigal son returns, the father said it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. It is fitting for us to have joy. Saying to the older brother, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What makes the Father joyful is when you return from your waywardness. Let me give you another one. In the same chapter, Luke chapter 15, speaking of Jesus, in in Luke chapter 15, verses 4 through 6, 
Jesus said, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. You may be here this morning, and you say, you know, I've been wayward, and I've been like that sheep that has strayed. I represent the one of the hundred that has strayed, and and I imagine the Father, I imagine Jesus is upset with me, and, and it wants me to gravel when I come back, but that is not the picture at all of what we see in the Scriptures. We see him filled with joy at your repentance and and returning to him. So I plead with you to do that. When we think of salvation, it's helpful for us to think of it in the terms of past, present, and future. Uh, the, the, the phrase or, or past, we can think of being rescued from our sins. I imagine these three young people in Manistee, Michigan, even today, a couple weeks later, are still basking in gratefulness that they are still here, that the riptide did not pull them out to the middle of Lake Michigan. In the same way, there ought to be something within us that causes some joy as we reflect on where we were and how God has saved us from that. So that's past. But there is also something present. There's another word that we use. It's the word sanctification. This salvation has an effect within us where God is doing this work in us. According to Philippians 1 verse 6, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. He is working to make us more like Jesus. And so as we are filled with the Spirit, we are able to read and understand and apply the Scriptures. There's a great joy that comes from that. You remember the story of the black man there from Ethiopia, whom God was doing a work on there in in Acts chapter 8. And there was one that loved to tell the good news. His name was Philip. And as God was working in this Ethiopian eunuch, he was riding across in a chariot. And and he was searching for truth. Maybe you are here today as well. And he had the Bible on his lap and he was meditating, thinking through Isaiah. And and here this good news person named Philip says, what are you reading? Well, I can't understand this. Could you explain this? Could you explain the good news, how I could be rescued from my sin? And so Philip had the privilege of sharing that. And do you remember what happened next? As they drove, they saw enough water there that he could be baptized in. And do you remember what it says there in Acts chapter 8, verse 39? And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And listen to what happened with this black man. He says, and he went on his way rejoicing. He, He had... He'd followed through and repenting of being found in his sin. And now he was baptized and there was joy in his life. I'm looking over here at a man that just last Sunday was baptized. And, and there he was able to share a story of how he had been rescued from his sin. And, and I imagine there was some rejoicing in you, wasn't there, John, at that time? Yes, there was. And we rejoiced with you in that. So there's not only the, the past, There's not only the present, but there is also a future component of this salvation. Romans 12, verse 12 says that we rejoice in hope. 
We have joy in the future, a future that awaits. There's a wonderful little insight here in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sends out 72 disciples, and they come back, and in chapter 10, verse 17, they are coming back excited, because as they come back, they're finding out that the demons, even the demons are honoring them, because they are following and representing Jesus. Do you remember that? And then he says this to these disciples, verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I was thinking about our, our dear friend, Russ, who, who poured his life really in the Highland Crest. And I don't know that this conversation ever would have taken place, but I know he loved to gather with the men on Tuesdays. And I know he would get excited. He'd come a couple hours early and set things up and get excited about how God was working their life. He might have said, Jesus, look how wonderful this is. He might have said, look at, the, look at the safety team that has been compiled here. These are really capable men. Look how, look how wonderful this is. And Jesus may have said to him, hey, listen, that's wonderful. But what, what you need to really rejoice in, Russ, is that your name has been written in heaven. Because that, that's what matters, Right? doesn't mean that we don't bear fruit, but it's that name written in heaven, loved ones, where we can rejoice in our future. We can look for a future that as crazy as this world is, this is not our home. There is a home there in heaven. So there is the first word, orchard. There's the second word, salvation. Now, let me give you a third word. It's the word, and this might surprise you, but it's the word suffering. What? Are you telling me that if I want to live a joy-filled life, a part of that path is suffering? Well, I, I said that if we are a Christian, if we are following Christ, a part of Christ's likeness is to follow his path. And that was suffering. Listen to what it says there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, as is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, if we're going to become more Christ-like, if we're going to follow in his footsteps, that is some steps of suffering. And, And he could see joy before him, but before he could take on this comprehensive joy, there was a cross, that he had to endure the cross. Why? So that you and I could be rescued from our sins. He absorbed the wrath, the judgment, the justice of God, so that you and I could have a joy-filled life. And this is what Peter said. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, but rejoice, have joy, insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. If you are living out the present components of salvation, and you are following Jesus, and you are speaking like Jesus is, can I just tell you, opposition will take place. And so Peter said, hey, rejoice in that. Because that's what happened to Jesus. 
In the Beatitudes, there's blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And he says, rejoice and be glad. Be happy that this has happened for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And remember last year when we we were working through the book of Acts and and Acts chapter 5, and and there's this persecution that these early Christians are are taking, they're getting beaten, they're they're leaving the temple. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So as I speak to our high school graduates, our college graduates, I I believe I can make this promise to you that if you are becoming more and more like Christ in this fallen world, then opposition, persecution is just going to increasingly come. But that's not to recoil according to the Bible. It's to say rejoice because I I must be more like Jesus now. I'll give you a final word. I know I've been spending a lot of time on this rejoice always, but there's so much more I could have said. And let me just give you this final word. It's the word others. I want to remind you, loved ones, that this context, uh, contrary to what we think in our Western mindset of individuals, this is written to a community of believers. And when you and I are obeying God, it sends a ripples effect throughout the local church. We rejoice when we see others rescued from sin and living for Jesus. Listen to what Romans chapter 16, verse 19 says. Paul said, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. So just walking with some believers... And understanding that they are obeying the scriptures that God is working in them causes joy in other Christians. Have you not found that to be true? Romans 12 verse 15 says, Rejoice, be joy-filled with those who rejoice. If you're struggling today and, and you feel a little bit isolated and you're saying, I don't have much joy in my life, may I encourage you to, to get involved and connected with other Christians because their joy can rub off on you. And so you, we, we encourage people to get involved into a Bible study. Now, during the summer, it's going to be at 9 o'clock, and during the school year, we'll, we'll go back to people's homes. But there's something that takes place when you get to know one another well enough, and, and there's a mom that says, I'm really, I'm really burdened for my son and my daughter, and, and I'm just going to be praying for her this week. I, I think the Lord is leading me to maybe even fast. Would there be others that would join me in that? And when there is this bond to, to pray for that, that sends ripples effect within that small group. When there's a man that says, you know what, my workplace is is challenging me to do something that violates a biblical conviction of mine, and if I follow through, I'm going to disobey God, and if I choose not to follow through, I might lose my job. And and I prayed about this, and I'm just going to stand firm on this. I could lose my job, and and I'm asking you, uh, loved ones, to pray for me. You know what happens there? Is that whole group gets stronger. It's like the bar of expectation raises. I can think of a few summers ago, we were doing a series on love your neighbor. 
And one of these men took that literally. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a block party in my neighborhood. And I'm going to invite all my neighbors, and we're going to have hot dogs and drinks, and I'm going to share the gospel with anyone that will listen to me. That had a ripple effect throughout our church. So loved ones, as we think about this joy, it's not, it's not isolation. It's why we need to be together. And sometimes we're drawing from one another's joy, right? Because we don't have it right now. But there'll be another time where people will draw from yours. So here's the, the first. You want to be in the will of God, like an orchard. Bear fruit through the Holy Spirit, but cultivate that. Go back to your salvation, past, present, future. Uh, are you experiencing some suffering? Well, that that's just authenticates that you're following Jesus. And then be drawing from others. Okay, now I spent a lot of time on that first one. I don't think I'll be spending as much time on the second and third, but let's look at verse 17. The second thing, if you want, you want to be in the will of God, is not only to rejoice always, here's the second, to have a prayer-filled life. A prayer-filled life. Verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Now what does What does Paul mean by this? Does he mean that we should have a few prayers memorized and we just kind of mumble these throughout our day? Certainly not, because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So once again, as we're talking about prayer without ceasing, let me just give you a few different words. Here's the first word. It's the word awareness. Praying without ceasing carries the thought that God is with us everywhere and we have this ongoing conversation with him. Now, on our cell phones, uh, there is this special feature, right? It's a speakerphone. It's the idea of, of, of having God on speakerphone and never disconnecting. So he has access to, to speak the words of truth into our hearts and he is available for us to speak at, at any time. And throughout the day, we are continually aware that God is with us. I was listening to Pastor Alan Carnes, and he remarked this this week. He said, it was said of Charles Spurgeon that he never prayed beyond 10 to 15 minutes, but he never went beyond 10 to 15 minutes without praying. Do you hear it? It's not so much that you need to enter into a 90-minute prayer. Your prayers might be just a phrase. It might be just a sentence. It might be just help. But the idea is you're praying without ceasing. You remember the, the writer of Amazing Grace, a man by the name of John Newton in the 19th century. He would gather with some of these uh, theologians, these men that would gather and they'd take up a theological topic and they would discuss it. And one day his buddies were together and they say, let's discuss what does it mean to pray without ceasing? And after about 45 minutes, they were uh, kicking it back and forth. And then the maid, the maid comes in that is serving them. And they say, young lady, what do you think it means to pray without ceasing? And this Scottish maid girl said, Oh, sirs, that's not a problem. When I get up in the morning, I clothe myself. I pray that the Lord Jesus might clothe me in his righteousness today. And when I came down here before you men came, I dusted the furniture. I prayed that he might cleanse me from the filth of my soul. 
And when I set before you this food and this drink, I prayed that Jesus Christ might be my meat and my drink until life eternal. So, sirs, I just kind of pray my way through the day. And I think that's what it means to pray without ceasing. So there is this awareness, but let me give you a second word. It's the word dependence. Prayer is the natural attitude of someone who has been rescued from their sins. There's this ongoing awareness. I, I need God's grace for everything in my life. So it could happen this week that you go to the mailbox and you are anticipating a bill. You're not exactly sure how much that bill is going to be. But when you open the envelope back on your way to the house, you see that it is $750 more than what you expected. So the natural outflow of one that has been rescued from their sins is to say, I remember God, you said, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to appeal to you to meet the need of this bill. It could be later in your week, you're in a conversation with a, with a, a neighbor, a coworker, even, even someone from church, a relative, and it's a tense conversation in which there's accusations being levied against you for being jealous or, or being selfish or being unloving towards them. And as that conversation ends abruptly, praying without ceasing says, God, you've told me that I'm the pray for my enemies, and I'm, I'm to love them. And I do not want the sun to go down on my anger right now, so help me with this. Help me to work towards reconciliation. Could be that you are faced with a, a dramatic temptation, and you're, you're very vulnerable, and as you approach it, because you are praying without ceasing, you're reminded of what the Scripture says, that God will provide a way out. So God, help me to find the way out, or, or something tragic takes place. And because you are praying without ceasing, you could say, Lord, you've told me not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, to make my request be made known to you. So this is what I am attempting to do right now. Now, what is the alternative? If you are not praying without ceasing, and you go to the mailbox, and you see a bill that's $750 more, and you're not praying about it, what will happen? Fear, anxiety. If you enter into a tense conversation with another person this week and you don't pray about it, what could seep in? Anger, bitterness, revenge. If you are faced with the temptation and you're not praying through it, what could happen? You fall into that temptation. And if you are crushed by an event that you are not anticipating, you could be given over to discouragement or to depression. And so God's way of saying, just pray without ceasing. Keep the phone on speakerphone so that we can just have this conversation throughout the day and allow me to help you. Let me give you this grace. I'll give you one final word when it comes to this praying without ceasing. It's the word perseverance. When we pray without ceasing, it provides an opportunity for us not to give up, but just to, just to continue to pray. One time, Jesus told a parable in which he was speaking about this persistent widow, and he opened that parable by saying this in Luke 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not 
to lose heart. Don't lose heart. Just always pray. Continue. I've already prayed 50 times for this today. Pray as your expression of not taking that upon yourself, but continually giving it to God. And has anyone ever been here that doesn't know what to pray? Yeah. And Paul's got something for you there in Romans 8, verse 26, when he said, For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It's the opposite of worrying is praying. Praying without ceasing is the outlet for us to continually bring our request to God. This is God's will for your life. A joy-filled life. This is God's will for your life. A prayer-filled life. And then finally, let me give you the last one. I'm, I'm just going to make up a word now. When you're a pastor, you can do that. The thank-filled life. The thank-filled life. Look with me at verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. This is a verse that's not supposed to be taught only at Thanksgiving time. If all we do is pull this verse out, I think we miss the whole flow of this argument. These build on one another. First, we are to have this joy-filled life where we're reflecting that this is a fruit uh, the source of this is our salvation. We're, we're seeing and suffering through this lens. We're, we're connected with others. We are also having this prayer-filled life. And I think a natural outflow of that is a thank-filled life. And, and can you look with me again at what it says there in verse 18? Give thanks for all circumstances. Is that what it says? No. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. And there's a big difference, isn't there? There are circumstances that have come along in our lives, maybe even this week, that we're like, I'm not giving thanks for that. But we are called to give thanks in, in all these circumstances. And where do we get this? I think it rests on the providence of God. It rests on this truth that God loves us and he knows what's best for our lives because he is good. He has not called us to understand all his ways, but he has called us to trust his ways. And when we go through some some challenges, If we have walked with the Lord enough, I think we will find out that there is something beyond this. And we can see that God is going to do a work in us and we'll come out of this even better than where we are at today. When I was a boy, I collected baseball cards. And I would get a stack of those. You know, they'd come with a package of like a pink piece of plastic and some baby powder or some powdered sugar or something like that. And, and, and then I would I'd collect them and my brewers I had in a rubber band and I'd put them in the batting order. And, and I can remember getting one of these cards of a guy named Tommy John. And he was a pitcher. He pitched for the Yankees. He pitched for the Angels. It, and one day, as, as Tommy John was advancing in his professional career, in 1974, he was experiencing a, a, a great a year. He was 13-3. and three. I think his ERA was like 259 or something like that. Now, he was a lefty, and when he was pitching, his arm went out. And there's some ligaments there near his elbow. It's like his body went one way and his arm went the other way. 
And he was done for the year. And so the doctor, the team doctor says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to repair those ligaments in your elbow and and we're going to see that you're going to be back. And and when he went in, there were no ligaments there. It was like, this guy's done. And so they decided to do something creative. They took ligaments from his right wrist and they put them in in his left elbow. And in time, that worked. The next year, he was pitching batting practice. And the following year, he was back to pitching professional baseball. And he would do this for many, many years, a very successful pitching career. That surgery became known as the Tommy John surgery. And, and today, there are well over 500 professional pitchers that have experienced such a surgery. And, and here's the thing. Many of these guys actually come back throwing faster than even before the surgery. It would be good for us Christians to have that sort of a perspective. I'm experiencing some some suffering, some pain right now. I don't know exactly sure why this is going on. But to understand that God's going to work good from this. And like that surgery, I believe I'm actually going to come out of this better than where I'm at right now. So this is God's will for your life, loved ones. It's a a joy-filled life. It's a prayer-filled life. And it's a thank-filled life. And my encouragement to you is to cultivate those areas in your life. There's one other thing I think I'd want to share with you. If you say, Chad, I... I don't know that I've ever been rescued from my sins. If you've never been rescued from your sins, then you're, you're not able to, to walk on this pathway of joy, of, of prayer, of, of thankfulness. I'm reminded of a story that took place in Luke chapter 19 of a man named Zacchaeus. He was a sinner. He was a tax collector. He was an outcast. But God was doing a work on his heart like maybe your heart today. And so he was seeking truth. He wanted to learn more about Jesus. And the scripture says that he climbed up on a tree and and he looked down. And and Jesus met him as he looked up in the tree. And it says there in Luke 19, verse 5, and when he saw, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for he must stay at your house today. And verse 6 says, Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. You want this joy, you want this joy-filled life. It begins by being rescued from your sins. Turn from your sins. Place your faith in what Jesus has done. And then there is this path for you. This is God's will. Joy-filled, pray-filled, thank-filled. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for how clear your word is to us. I'm grateful for those little children in Manistee, Michigan that were saved. And I'm also grateful that Jesus, his death and his resurrection is saving people, not from the cold waters of Lake Michigan, but from the fires of hell. And so I pray again that as this message goes out today, that there would be those that would say, I I want to reach out. I want to be saved from my sins. By faith, say, I need to be forgiven. I I believe that Jesus died for me. May I bear fruit, a fruit of joy. 
May I be connected with others that will help me to pursue this joy. May I have a life that just is an ongoing prayer and may it be exhibited by thankfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we wind our service down today, I just want to make it clear that if there's a way that I could help you or others here, if you've never been rescued from your sins, we would be delighted to talk with you about how that can be and how you can be on your way to the joy-filled life. Let's stand and let's sing a song together.